You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about innovation, particularly in the setting of a pandemic. I'm joined today by Drs. Flora Winston and Dr. Daria Farrow, who have been collaborating as part of a multidisciplinary CHOP team that's been working over the past couple of years to strengthen and optimize CHOP innovation. I'm going to let you both introduce yourselves and a little bit more about the innovation ecosystem that you're working in. Hi, I'm Flora Winston. Katie, it's so great to be on the podcast again. And thank you so much for doing this for pediatricians. So my background is in engineering, public health, and pediatrics. And I have always worked at the interface between need and solutions, trying to innovate how to address pressing needs and pain points that are important for children's health and turn those into sustainable solutions by robust teams that carry them out. My area of interest to date has largely been around traffic-related injury, but I've easily shifted into how do we deal with any kind of issue where technical solutions can really be important. And listeners will remember your prior podcast, as you said, with us on teen driving. So we appreciate your expertise in that realm, although we're going to be shifting gears a little bit today to some of the other innovation work you do. And then Daria, do you want to tell us about your background? Sure. Thanks again for having me, Katie. It's a great treat to be here with both you and Flora. And by here, I mean virtually in my closet uh, and on the internet with you. I am a pediatric hospitalist at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where I came to join a clinical informatics fellowship two years ago and have subsequently stayed on. And really, my interest is in applying tools primarily from the quality improvement world. But as I'm learning, working with Dr. Winston and others, really methodologies from a wide range of disciplines to try to solve problems in healthcare. So you're both approaching this from innovation and improvement angles. How did the two of you connect? Well, as I mentioned, um, I came to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia for a clinical informatics fellowship. And during that time, I started working collaboratively with my clinical informatics fellows at the time on a technical solution. And Through that work and through the coursework of the fellowship, getting to be exposed to all different areas of the hospital and really seeing how people worked in different areas and the problems that they were facing and solutions that they were trying to implement. And during this time, people kept saying, you know, you really should talk to Flora Winston about how you think similarly and how there's so much that you could learn. And I reached out to Flora and during the fellowship started to share ideas and work together during an elective with her during that informatics fellowship. Yeah. And it was just connection at first sight, you know, (laughs) at the first meeting, we totally saw things in a similar way. And I saw a lot of Daria's clear thinking and her passion 
her systematic approach reflected in the way she spoke, the way she thought about things, and was just really excited to work with her and help her grow into being the leader that she's becoming. I hope that I have a part in all of that. And so now we're we're colleagues, you know, started out as a fellow working with somebody on an elective, and now we're co-leading things. And your collaboration is part of the innovation ecosystem that I mentioned before. So Flora, can you explain a little bit about what that is? Sure. So the goal of the innovation ecosystem at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia is to efficiently, effectively, and safely address acute pain points with solutions. Now, it's not that we are creating them, but what we are is, I like to use the analogy that we are the amniotic fluid of all the hubs that are working out there. So oftentimes people work in silos in large networks like ours. And what there needs to be is basically a conductor of soloists who's thinking that each of these hubs has a part to play and you just need to have them all learn from each other, connect with each other so that there's just a much more smooth symphony that comes out from the other end. And that's really where we see ourselves. It's really bringing CHOP together so that everyone at CHOP with a good idea is within one degree of separation of the resources, the talent, the expertise that they need in order to solve problems. Our mission is really to try to improve innovation through building connections, capacity, and culture. And really in that process, defining best practices and pathways that can be shared amongst all of the wonderful groups within our network and outside so that really we can help people with their ideas make impact. We have a catchphrase that we're using or a slogan. I don't know what you, what we should call it, but trying to move improvement further and faster. And so within the innovation ecosystem, I really focus on the capacity component. And that really is the capacity of individuals thinking about what is the training that we as medical professionals, but also all the other staff members throughout the organization might need in order to be effective innovators, as well as thinking about capacity of the organization. So again, thinking about how we unearth those best practices and pathways. And really that is in the foundations of quality improvement and some of those domains that Flora started to talk about, safety being paramount always with our patients. As you both mentioned, you've been doing this work for years. And when I think about quality improvement and innovation, I do think about processes that take a while, a lot of thought and preparation and work and research that go into these things. But now in the setting of COVID-19, what has this crisis meant to your work and to the innovation progress that we were doing and seeing at CHOP already and how that's changed now with this new pandemic? Yeah, so what I think is really important here is that we're at the intersection of need and speed. We don't have the luxury of time. We have to maintain safety, but we need to get solutions out there. So what's really fabulous is that there is already this foundation of how do you approach really complicated problems by breaking them down, understanding where things are. How do you do that? It's just the challenge is just doing it more quickly. I think, Dara, you wanted to say a little bit more about that? 
Sure. I think that, as you mentioned, it really has created a sense of urgency for a lot of needs that we had previously identified in our healthcare system. Any place that we have been seeing workarounds really are potential indications that there is a problem in the system that we need to address. And I think in this time of crisis, those workarounds that need for speed, as Flora has put it, is really created the sense of urgency for addressing these issues. I heard you say, Katie, that it sometimes takes a lot of planning and time. And those are just things that this crisis has really made a non-factor. The way that I like to be thinking about it is just because you move quickly doesn't mean that you're not going to be moving systematically and carefully. So we are used to this as clinicians. We're all trained to work on codes and to lead teams through medical issues in the hospital, in primary care, wherever it might be. And there's just something about the QI framework for a lot of folks where they take their mind off of doing things quickly and turn it into something that becomes maybe too complicated. And I think what's happened here is the incredibly wonderful tools that QI provides to us about carefully defining your problem, learning what the workflow is at the baseline, doing process maps, all those kinds of things are critical, but you just have to do it more quickly. I often like to use the analogy in medicine that we're used to is think about when you want to describe information about a patient and a code, and then think about the medical student history and physical that takes forever. We're just moving the QI process closer to the way that brains have to think in a code situation. And that's what's really exciting to me, that if we can use this time to really understand how do we make a change, maybe we can make QI more efficient in general. So Daria, from the frontline perspective, what is an example of how maybe we've pushed innovation progress forward during COVID at CHOP? So Katie, you probably uh, have had a experience with this. I would say telehealth has really taken off. At CHOP, we have been doing this for, again, a while. We have been offering telehealth visits as a potential solution to outpatient visits, but it's really in this time of crisis with the COVID-19 pandemic really pushed our organization to increasing the number of telehealth visits from a handful per day per week to thousands. And it has been a really amazing feat to witness and be a part of because it really highlights the impact and the amount of work that can be done when efforts are kind of focused around one objective. And that includes preparing not only the patients and families for these visits, whether it's making sure that they're signed up for the patient portal, that they know how to use the patient portal to have the video visit, but also preparing and training the physicians, the schedulers, everyone who is involved in this process to really shift the way that we're delivering care. 
in primary care, you're right, there's always been this concept that we should do telemedicine or telehealth. And it seemed like it was on the horizon. And at the same time, COVID-19 sort of pushed us forward, accelerating the work that was already started. And so it's been really exciting to see how even in a crisis, we were able to continue the work that we started and really bring that innovation into the present. I think that's right. And I think that one of the challenges with telehealth in general was related to some policy and, you know, insurers and billing. And that was a real barrier that I think was a challenge to actually really seeing telehealth being implemented as a service that I think patients, families, physicians, all the healthcare members thought there could be real value. But I think what has been really interesting in this time of crisis is also to see how quick that policy can change as well. And to your point, Katie, I think we've been for a while as general pediatricians thinking about how there was a need to move from this exam-based encounter that took place in a room and thinking about how especially uh, primary care gets integrated into patient and family lives in a, like I said, a more integrated way. And we've known for a while that technology actually was not the main barrier to that. That's a great point. So I can see how a crisis would push innovation forward. And as Daria said, it might eliminate some of the policy barriers that were present before the crisis happened. But what you're saying is that we can also do quality improvement with smaller PDSA cycles, even in a crisis situation? You have to. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You have to. That There is this Wild West mentality that some people take on when it comes to a crisis. And I'm going to give you an example of an area that's near and dear to my heart related to engineering. And that's the idea that a lot of the problems can be solved by technological solutions. So one of the big things that happened earlier on was the idea that we, and still is the case, sadly, is that there are shortages in PPE, personal protective equipment. Right. So let's take one very simple one was the face shields, because we, mm -hmm. we know that COVID can be transmitted through the eyes. And while the uh, providers are in the intensive care units, they're intubating patients who are in respiratory distress. There's just all of this COVID being released. So they really needed the PPE, the face shields. And so there was this need very quickly to get the face shields, but they couldn't buy them. Right. And so there were engineers everywhere saying that they want to help. They've got 3D printing. I want to help. Can I help? Can I help? Well, the reality is we don't know how to make use of that help easily. It needs to be integrated. There needs to be quality control. We need to make sure that it all works because we don't want to cause harm. And so what this really was showing is that even in the midst of a crisis, we need to be able to ensure meeting the need in speed with safety. So there's a lab at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. It's called the Children's Hospital of Additive Manufacturing for Pediatrics Lab that Raymond Z and Elizabeth Silvestri run. And they became like the hub to help to coordinate how to get this stuff in, who to work with in supply chain to make sure that this all worked. So even in a crisis, and actually in some ways even more important in a crisis, we need to make sure these things work. 
And like you said, it's not just about the idea or the innovation, but studying it, looking at it from a quality improvement lens and safety lens as well, so that we can make sure that these innovations are things that will persist and benefit us even after the crisis. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we did a very interesting exercise at the Pediatric Academic Society meeting workshop that was held last year. We did a word cloud, so asked people to submit responses the first word that came to their mind when we said innovation, and then we did one with improvement. And with improvement, people said things like challenging, process, change, measurement came up. And with innovation, they said new, creative, out of the box, breakthrough. But to your point, Katie, innovation just means in a new way. It is not the common perception of running around in a dark room into walls as fast as you can and trying to find the door. There is a discipline to innovation and that discipline of innovation really builds on the small tests of change which are incorporated into quality improvement frameworks that many healthcare providers are familiar with. And measurement is a big part of that. How do you find out as quickly as possible, as safely as possible, that you're on the right path? So rapid prototyping is something that in innovation is very readily adapted to figure out as fast as possible, am I on the right path? Yeah. And I think one of the really important things that we all have to get comfortable with is failure. What's really important is how to learn a lot from your failures and fail safely and fail quickly. So I told you about this one idea of a different kind of face mask. I'm not going to mention the name, but it ended up taking up a lot of people's energy, whereas if we had had a system in place, a process, it could have failed quickly because people would have seen that it was not going to scale. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is this idea of not looking just at this succeeded but how can we make something fail? And that I think is really where the difference comes in with innovation versus improvement. Improvement in many ways, you already know what success looks like. You already have an idea of what should be happening. You just need to make it happen in a better way. So you have baseline metrics and I wanna try to improve them. And innovation, particularly during the time of a crisis, you have no baseline metrics, you just have to make sure that you're going down a path that isn't ultimately going to fail or cause injury. And so you have to fail quickly. For those primary care practitioners who are listening and feeling inspired, what can they do to take action in this, in this innovation and quality improvement realm during a crisis? So there are lots of things you can do immediately, and then there are things you can do in a little bit longer term. So immediately, I think, is about not being afraid to try. If you see something as a problem in front of you, try to define it very clearly and think about how you can bring to bear what resources you have to solve the problem. Don't be accepting of the status quo because that's not going to work during COVID. And a longer term is about how do you start learning about this? Just like you learned for those of you who are out there about QI, there actually are resources available to you to learn about innovation. So we have created a free online book, an ebook that there'll be a link to. It's designed after the resource a lot of us use to get quick information. I won't name it because it's a it's actually a proprietary product, but there is this 
you all know it, but there's this one resource that you go to and you find out what test you should do for whatever it is you're seeing. Well, we created something similar to that for innovation. What is it that I need to know quickly related to entrepreneurship, related to rapid prototyping, related to new diagnostic tests? What are the things I need to know as a clinician that can help me at least begin to work with other people, if not to actually solve those problems? And then where can I go for more resources? And so I really would encourage, there's some really quick chapters in there that you might want to read to start learning about all of this and then start becoming part of this community where you can better direct engineers and others to create products that are going to help you at the front lines or help your patients. In addition to some of the things Flora just mentioned, I know that we have been talking about quality improvement, like it's second nature to us, but it's important to remember that quality improvement in healthcare is actually borrowed from the manufacturing industry and pretty actually, you know, recent adoption for how we think about making change in healthcare. So I think innovation borrows from lots of different disciplines, including implementation science, such fields as design thinking or human factors engineering. So those are places and disciplines where people might be interested in exploring and the design firm IDEO, I-D-E-O, as well as the Stanford School of Design, sometimes called the D-School, has free publicly available resources to help people start to think and see things in different ways. And I keep thinking about how I spent medical school in my pediatric training learning how to see things in a new way learning how to ask questions to help me understand the things that I was seeing. And I think, you know, what we're talking about in innovation in healthcare is that, is developing those skills. So it's really trying to think about understanding how to ask questions for the workarounds that you might be seeing and asking why and learning more and those workarounds becoming potential points of system change and system improvement. Yeah. So some of the things very specifically that you might want to look at, the PROS network, the pediatric research in the office setting is a great place to start thinking about how to change the way we think about this. Alex Fixit-Chop has been leading with Lisa Biggs, the Possibilities Project to rethink primary care. I think that COVID's telling us that primary care is going to have to change after this. So really thinking about what that looks like and being part of the change rather than just accepting what it is, is what we really hope will inspire a lot of you to be part of innovation related to this. I think that little things like how to just start to be curious when you see an engineer learning how they think and how you can start working with them will be... Um, really great. And these tools that we're giving you are ways for you to just start to be able to learn how someone outside of medicine thinks about this. We're taught in a very different way from the way an engineer might be taught. And I think that the blend of the two is really going to transform healthcare, like it did with being able to bring face shields from in high schools to our emergency departments at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. 
Right. And I think I was inspired during COVID to do some of those IHI modules on QI that Daria was talking about. And I think there's probably a lot of other people out there who are seeing the innovation around them and inspired to get involved. So what's next on the horizon for the innovation ecosystem team? There are a bunch of things that I'm excited about. The most important is about building this community. And we really hope to be able to give you more information about this as time goes on. But we want to take this academic entrepreneurship book and have it be living. And we're going to turn it into a free community so that if you're just a person in one location who doesn't have that network, that we can tap you into a larger network. A second is, in terms of the capacity, is further developing the book and moving it forward, I think, is going to be quite important. Also starting to, I hope, build out more career paths for people like Daria who want to be clinician innovators. I really see that that's going to be a huge area in academic medicine as we move forward. And in terms of the systems and the culture, one of the really exciting projects is a grant proposal we just put into the National Science Foundation, we hope we get it, is to create a connected, rapid innovation system to meet identified needs with solutions, the crisis system that will be a workflow from frontline identified needs through supply chain or whatever it might be, all the way through to bringing something through the design process, through the testing process, and back out to the delivery in as quickly as we possibly can. And we're already seeing the benefits of how that works in a crisis, and I think it could work long-term to meet the needs of children in particular. So the one thing I wanna close with is the idea that we all are feeling the crisis of COVID. It's just awful. It's horrific. It's tearing people apart. It's affecting our economy. But there's a second arrow related to this crisis. If we don't use this crisis to transform healthcare, if we don't learn from it and move forward so that we're actually delivering better care after this more efficiently and more effectively. Throughout my whole career, I've looked at this as studying tragedy to prevent tragedy, well, I think it's even more important now. There are a lot of problems with healthcare that have been revealed through the COVID crisis, and I think it's time that we fix those and learn from what we're doing that works and what we're doing that's not working, and we start coming up with better solutions moving forward. Well, I don't think it could be said better than that. So thank you so much for the work that you are both doing at CHOP. And we are really excited to see what else comes out of the innovation ecosystem. We will link to the resources that you mentioned in our show notes, which are at www.chop.edu slash PCP podcast. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.